0: To learn more about code, visit codehealth.com. That's K-O-D-E-Health.com, or email code directly at partnerships at codehealth.com. Hello and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. On today's episode, we have a special interview from our recent annual conference, where Nick Hutt met with Dr. Stephen Morgan, a senior vice president and chief medical information officer at Carilion Clinic in Roanoke, Virginia. The two discussed optimizing an organization's electronic health record with analytics. Later, in a sponsored segment, I talked with CEDAR co-founder Florian Otto about how healthcare organizations can offer a better patient payment experience. But first, we have a special edition of Beyond the News with Chad Mulvaney.
1: Hello, my name is Chad Mulvaney. I'm a policy director. And this week, when HFMA is beyond the news segment, we're going to give you a couple of quick hits off of the CMS Medicare outpatient prospective payment rule for 2020. Obviously, CMS released it on July 29th, late in the day. So these are early takes off of it. And most of it will focus on the long-anticipated provisions to implement the President's Executive Order on Price Transparency. Just as a quick read of the rule, the revised requirements based on CMS's incredibly expanded definition of the Public Health Services Act now makes the price transparency requirements apply to all hospitals save those run by the federal government. So the rule applies to acute hospitals, psych hospitals, rehab hospitals, critical access hospitals, etc. cetera. The only thing it doesn't apply to are VADOD and Indian Health Services hospitals not only under the expanded definition do you have to post gross charges in your charge master, but now you have to post the plan-specific negotiated rates, so the payer-specific negotiated charges, both in full list, so a full list of items and services, and also a list of 300 shoppable items and services. And one file format has to be machine readable, so things like XML, the 300 shoppable services also has to be posted in what CMS is calling a consumer-friendly format on both your web page and the consumer-friendly format has to be made available in hard copy if a patient or someone so requests it. The one thing that you don't have to include in, the in, in your posting of negotiated rates is your Medicare or Medicaid rates, although the rule says there's nothing specific in there that would prevent you from doing so. The rule also gets very specific in the data elements that you have to post. And certainly we are in the process of developing a summary of this specific provision of the OPPS rule, along with an executive summary of the broader rule and eventually a detailed summary, but we'll include the very specific data elements in the summary of, the, of, of this provision. The other piece of it that is new and certainly an aggressive interpretation of the Public Health Services Act is that cms is now stating that if you do not have this in a public publicly posted and made available you may eventually be fined a maximum of 300 dollars per day as a civil monetary penalty so again slightly different take from what they had been doing when it was just post your charge master post your drg list the other thing to add in terms of the the shoppable services and also all services is this not only includes the hospital services but any physician services related to services provided in the hospital if the physicians are employed by the hospital. So it's a very broad expansion of what's what's being required. That's the, the top line on the price transparency piece. There are a couple of other things that are worth mentioning that we will cover both in our executive summary and detailed summary of the proposed rule and likely on a future podcast. The OPPS rule also proposes to allow knee replacements to occur and be paid for by Medicare in ambulatory surgery centers. So a couple of years ago, knee replacements were taken off the inpatient-only list. Now they're moving into the ASC, and certainly I think this was something that a lot of folks expected. Kind of following trend on that, the proposed rule also would take hip replacements or THAs off the inpatient-only list. And one can expect that if that's finalized, it'll probably be within two or three years that we'll see HIP replacements for Medicare patients being paid for in the ASC. We obviously see CMS continuing in the proposed rule to implement the site-neutral provisions from the prior year. Again, not unexpected, but certainly will have a, a material impact on health system bottom lines. And then also CMS continues to implement the 340B cuts even though they lost the court case that providers filed against them in this breakup. So lots to cover, lots to unpack. Certainly, we're still going through it. Stay tuned for more details, and we'll certainly make those available to our members here on this podcast and also through summary sheets that are available on the HFMA website under the regulatory initiative section. Thank you very much. Hope everybody has a great day.
0: And as always, for the latest developments in healthcare finance policy and practice, check out our daily news site at hfma.org/news.
1: HFMA's Certified Revenue Cycle Representative program is a great way to expand your professional purview. But don't take our word for it. Let Revenue Cycle Manager Morgan Coker tell you how it enhanced her career with HFMA CRCR, um, I was able to enhance my learning experience with the certification. I was able to,
0: to get a job a lot faster than a lot of my colleagues from my program.
2: Learn more about
1: HFMA's Revenue Cycle Representative Certification Program at hfma.org slash crcr.
0: One of the most enjoyable opportunities our team had at HFMA's annual conference in June was meeting people in the industry who are excited to share the insights they gain during initiatives at their organizations. Today we're bringing you Nick Hutt's conversation with Dr. Stephen Morgan, a Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Information Officer from Carilion Clinic in Roanoke, Virginia, about how his organization used analytics to optimize its electronic health record.
2: This is Nick Cutt with HFMA. I'm at our annual conference 2019 in Orlando, talking with Dr. Stephen Morgan, Chief Medical Information Officer and Senior Vice President with Carilion Clinic. He just presented a session or co-presented a session on optimizing use of the EHR through analytics. And we're very pleased to have him in our podcast studio with us right now. Uh, Dr. Morgan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. What difference would you say that analytics has made overall in the use of, of the EHR at Carilion Clinic?
3: So the use of analytics we've used in, in a number of different ways. Um, certainly, from a provider perspective, to improve the provider experience with more efficiency and workflows, being able to understand where we have deficits in those workflows. Uh, we also have been able to use analytics from a revenue cycle perspective to start to drive. Uh, looking at denials, for instance, we have a HB and PB denial dashboard that. Uh, We're able to get back to our department chairs and section chiefs so that they can educate and um, help to make changes within our providers. Uh, We use a number of different visualization tools to be able to provide analytics back in near real time, um, to be able to provide from, as I said, from clinical care all the way to uh, improving uh, financial uh, well-being for the organization.
2: In in a negative context regarding EHR, you hear clinicians feel that it maybe impacts the quality of patient care. Certainly, it's a drag on their time, adds to the stress and strain of their job. How do you use analytics to sort of mitigate those problems or to solve those problems? Well, we haven't uh, solved all
3: the problems, but we certainly have used analytics to give insight on Uh, particularly where clinicians are spending more time in their workflows. Uh, Sometimes they're spending more time doing non-clinical work that we can see in some of the dashboards that we've created to monitor the efficiency of how the providers are working. Um, We're able to present that back to the providers and particularly, in a lot of cases, change the way that they're interacting with the system to be able to make improvements. Um, Just by having those kind of tools has allowed us to be able to pinpoint where those physicians that are having the most um, difficulty, um, you know, where they are having the most difficulty and whether or not that we need to change uh, some of the things in the system, make a workflow different, uh, process improvement uh, to improve their efficiency and ultimately
2: improve the quality uh, of the work that they're doing. And then you and and your fellow panelists were asked about how the EHR can be used to tackle cost accounting issues. What strides have you made in that area at Carilion Clinic? The native application um, with the
3: EMR doesn't have as much... cost accounting information as we would like. So we've utilized as many things that are in our current EMR to be able to drive more visualization and um, actually just as much to educate providers on how much different things cost, relatively speaking, because it's very hard to, to nail down exact cost. We are in the process of using a third party vendor to really give more robust dashboards, more benchmarking around cost accounting information. A lot of our clinicians are very interested in this, so we have were an early adopter of value-based care through our accountable care initiatives, and a lot of our providers are seeing the benefit of saving our patients' money, uh, really looking at it from a community perspective and being good stewards of our patients' money in, in the community, and really trying to provide top-quality procedures and top-quality uh, clinical work, but trying to do that Uh, mindful of the patient's dollars that they're spending, and also trying to do it at a more um, lower cost. These dashboards really give us the ability for the first time to be able to do that and to, to show cost comparisons between providers and work with each provider on how they can improve. Possibly a game changer, it sounds like. Absolutely, um, because there are, it, it, the good news is is that the providers are the ones that are driving this. Um, so it's not a top-down. It is not necessarily driven by finance. It really is the providers and our, our physician leadership that is able to make that change happen, that culture and behavior change
2: happen. Right, which certainly does speak to sort of the cultural challenges and how to overcome those. Absolutely. Um, final question, where do you go from here as far as uh, short-term next steps? If we had you back here next year to present on on this topic, uh, what would you hope to be able to report maybe that, that you didn't this year?
3: I, I think the the largest gains that we will make over the next year, we're in the, in the process of really looking at our EMR and making some substantial changes, working with the vendor uh, on a two-year project to make changes. The goals of that are, to, are, are essentially a lot of things that we've talked about. So to make the clinicians more efficient, uh, reduce some of the burden there. We also wanna get more meaningful data out of our, our EMR. That is going to flow directly into our data warehouse um, and also the REMR's data warehouse to provide more insight. I think as we start bringing more of that data together and more of the cost information together with that, That'll be fun to report out next year because I think we'll we'll have much more insight. I do want to make a point though, and about analytics, informatics in general is that no matter what we do on the technology side, ninety five percent of the work that I do is people in process. And really that behavior change has to follow through. And that that to me is gonna be critical with any of the things we're we're doing. We don't wanna get so data
2: focused because The data has to change behavior in a positive way. And I think that's a terrific note to end on. Uh, Dr. Morgan, thank you for joining us on this podcast from our conference in Orlando. And thank you for your presentation earlier today. Very enlightening.
3: Thank you and the HFMA for the opportunity. Wouldn't it be great to provide your staff with unlimited access to HFMA's library of online education? How about HFMA's accredited certification programs, market-leading white papers, in-depth research reports, and more. Introducing Enterprise Solutions, a group membership program designed to provide your organization's employees with cost-effective tools and resources that increase staff engagement and optimize organizational results. Get your organization engaged with Enterprise. For more information and to watch an introductory video, visit hfma.org forward slash enterprise.
0: Over the years, I've heard many stories about members who made major changes in their organizations after experiencing patient payment issues from the patient side. For Florian Otto, the co-founder and CEO of Cedar, an incident with his fiancé actually inspired him to form his company. I understand you have a story about a a not-so-great experience um, that happened to your fiancé that made you want to disrupt the healthcare space. Can you share that story with us?
4: Sure. Um, I think the, I mean, not so great experience, it might be a bit of an understatement. I more think it was a terrible experience for her. So she basically fainted in 2015, needed to go to the emergency room. Pretty typical experience and nothing uh, too bad happened there. She swiped her credit card for the copayment and then needed to fill out all the information, got extremely treated well by the doctor. So really good experience in the emergency room. But then a month later after discharge, the billing nightmare began. So she got um, a stack of paper from uh, from the hospital in the emergency room where she went, all in CPT codes or DRG codes, and didn't understand anything, needed to call them in order to pay it. And then another month later, for so two months after um, the incident, she got a bill actually from the imaging center, kind of similar, also on paper, and then half a year later, so six months later, um, she got a call from a debt collector of a lab bill that she never paid. So what happened is she moved her address, they built her old address, and immediately a debt collector called her. So it was a terrible experience, and she told me she totally lost trust in this healthcare provider. Why is that? Because she, did, she, she thought if they don't have their administrative part together, the medical team also might be very disorganized.
0: Otto has had an interesting career, starting out as a physician and then moving to consulting, then sales before starting Cedar. Having worked in several industries, he says that healthcare can take lessons from consumer-focused industries such as hospitality.
4: So imagine right now, experience of, let's call it a Ritz-Carlton hotel. So you for example check into the hotel, they have an amazing building, extremely friendly staff, the rooms are great, the food is extremely delicious. And then at checkout, you need to wait 20 minutes to get your bill and drop off your key. And then you don't understand the the bill that you get or the invoice that you get from them. So in that case, you probably wouldn't say, oh, Ritz-Carlton is great, but the billing experience is not so great. You probably would say, Ritz-Carlton is an awful brand. So basically having a non-consistent experience damages the entire brand. And we think consistency over time is really what is important. And healthcare providers really need to think every single touch point with a patient on where they can
0: improve. So how, how do we get there? How did Ritz-Carlton get where it is? And how can healthcare get there? Where do they start and where do they go from that beginning point?
4: That's an inter- interesting question. I might put in two answers. I think the first is really monitoring and seeing everything from a consumer, from a patient perspective. And the second is digitalization. On the first piece of really seeing everything from a patient perspective, what what we always suggest is to have the entire experience basically from check-in, from booking the appointment, from putting down the insurance information, preferred communication methods during the visit and then after discharge, seeing everything from a patient or from a consumer point of view and to see where are there the biggest Friction. Where is opportunity to make it more personalized and more frictionless? That's what we strongly believe is really important.
0: Do people who work in healthcare realize where we need to go, or do you think this is just starting to hit home that that we do need to have this hyper focus on what the consumer is looking for?
4: Everybody is a consumer of healthcare. So also healthcare executives or people that, that work in healthcare providers. And when you are a consumer of healthcare, you understand that we have a long way to go to become more consumer friendly. I think the question is for uh, for providers whether um, where do they want to start, and with which companies do they want to partner? That is the most important thing. And where do they want to focus on? I think in the past, um, let's call it starting in the 70s or 80s, up till maybe. Ten years ago, it was clearly all the efforts were only on the medical side. Hire the best doctors, do all the branding, advertising with, you hire the best specialists. And right now, that really shifts shifts towards having entire good experience.
0: In order to provide that good experience, Otto says the patient must be in the center of the entire process.
4: not the patient goes through the system and needs to adapt, but we put the patient in the center of everything. And back to, the, for example, the, uh, the billing piece, the provider and the patient, they actually have exactly the same incentive. Patients want to pay the bill. We, be, we believe in the good of patients. However, they want to have it easy, they want to have it understandable, and they want, to, uh, they want to know what they are being charged for.
0: The second piece of putting the patient at the center, he says, is to personalize the experience, another area where other industries have had success.
4: You, for example, log onto your Expedia account. The recommendations that you get from Expedia are extremely personalized. While one consumer gets maybe recommendations for the Super 8 motel, the other one gets it for the Fairmont or for the uh, ritz carlton motel. So it's extremely different. Which time of the day these uh, communications will be sent through which channel and so on. That, that uh, differs a lot and makes total sense because that reduces the friction.
0: CEDAR is a patient payment and engagement platform for hospitals, health systems and medical groups that elevates the end-to-end patient experience. The platform leverages advanced data science to customize and simplify the payment and administrative experience, resulting in a modern, consumer-friendly way for patients to plan for and pay their bills. CEDAR is PCI and HIPAA compliant and HITRUST certified. Since 2009, when St. Joseph's University Medical Center in New Jersey opened the nation's first geriatric emergency department, approximately 125 other organizations have followed suit in an effort to better meet the unique needs of elderly patients. In today's Fast Five, we have five key components for success in the geriatric emergency department. Special training for clinicians in the unique medical needs of an elderly population. For example, the possibility of drug interactions. Processes and procedures to move past the problem that brings the patient in and identify underlying causes, such as dementia, fall risk, and elder abuse. Staff, such as nurse navigators and care managers, to ensure patients have everything they need upon discharge. Integration with community resources, such as Meals on Wheels and Home Health Services, to help a patient stay healthy at home comfortable accommodations that make the ED experience pleasant and safe, such as non-slip floors and thick mattresses. The information for this Fast Five came from Innovation in Action, the genesis of the geriatric ED. You can read it and other articles at hfma.org. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional reporting this week was by Nick Hutt. Beyond the News this week was produced by Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. HFMA's president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Special thanks this week to our sponsor, Cedar. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And reach out to us with your thoughts at podcast at hfma.org.